We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Earlier this week, Ben Gretsch and I drafted our first 2023 FFPC main event in our hunt for the $1 million. We drew the 102. We decided to take some risks. That hubris of believing that we could record a draft for later in the week bit us very quickly, but we had a great time with this. We think that you'll enjoy it. As you see here with it developing, we have a few hiccups, some hurdles that we're going to have to overcome, and yet I still really enjoy this team. As you see, when we get to that point, you know, maybe there's a, a different player that we would like to throw in there in round three, but I think there's also an advantage to having a potentially unique superstar during the race portion where, again, we win that $1 million. So we had a good time. We hope that you'll have a good time. As is always the case with these drafts, we spend most of our time when we're not on the clock going through players, working through their scenarios, giving the upside and downside. In the drafts here, we loosen up and give you some of our truest of the true player takes. This was a lot of fun. We hope you enjoy it. Drafting an FFPC main event from the 102. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter. Head bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his incredible work at Rotoviz. And when I say incredible, I do mean it's that time of the year where the best article or series of articles in fantasy football has been unleashed on us all. The zero RB countdown is live all of the running backs you need to know got uh immediately dropped what i was doing to go read all those and got uh, a lot of great information out of that sean we were drafting at the 102 on the f in the ffpc here we already got started for anyone who wants to follow along with the draft board be sure to check out the rotoviz radio youtube channel make sure to like and subscribe and do all those great things you can watch the draft unfold in real time with us. If you're just an audio listener, we'll try to keep you up to date as much as possible. We did take Jamar Chase at the 102. The uh, Justin Jefferson went 101. Travis Kelsey actually in this tight end premium format has a slightly higher ADP than Chase, but we are both happy to get Chase there. The rest of the start of the first round so far has been kind of running back every. We have we have Christian McCaffrey actually going ahead of Kelsey at 103. 
Kelsey 104, Austin Eckler 105, Bijan Robinson 106. So a lot of running backs. Tyreek Hill and Cooper Cup fall to seven and eight. If I got the eighth pick and got Cooper Cup there, I would be doing backflips personally. But Sean, how are you doing? Good, good. That is pretty crazy. That I mean, all was not right with the Rams offense last season. We talked on some previous shows about how Cooper Cup's peripherals had declined, not just a little bit, but substantially. And yet the interesting thing there, Ben, is that even with those peripherals falling off, he was still either the dominant player or one of the two or three dominant players in all of fantasy. And so I don't think that you can really, you know, realistically say that that's his floor. You can fall off some more and you can obviously have the volume really drop. But I mean, there's, there's upside from that with Cooper Cup. I think that he should be going earlier. It is interesting to see a little bit more of a running back heavy start here. Bijan is somebody that Blair Andrews wrote a little bit about because he and Hassan are doing a five-man slow draft with you guys over at Ship Chasing. Blair broke down the early picks there for an article on Rotoviz. And it's interesting because I have a lot of Bijan, and yet at the same time, it, it is a situation where, I mean, Tyler Algier is a better backup than Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott. People are definitely either betting on massive talent, which I think makes sense, and or massive running back scoring for the Falcons. Now, I think I've actually been a little bit more optimistic about that element than you have been. But it still is is tough. I've moved Bijan down to, you know, more or less the one-two turn, even a little bit early in the second, I think, is probably where you're getting the right sort of risk-reward balance. But we say we had a little bit of a running back early start, Ben, and the next long slew of picks here were wide receivers. Yeah, and I mentioned to you, I was kind of looking forward to, it's funny, long-time listeners will remember the year that we were just getting back third draft slots every time, and I was really hoping to get a one-on-one or up near the top. Uh, This year, I actually was, this is our first main event, Sean. I was actually hoping we'd get like a back, a very back pick, potentially 112, because I haven't gotten a lot of Almond around St. Brown or Garrett Wilson yet in my, my few mains that I've started. Really like those two. And after those running backs go, Tyree Kill, Cup, Diggs, Lamb, A.J. Brown go, sometimes you see Amon Ron, Garrett Wilson sneak ahead of some of those veteran receivers, but the guy at 12 does get Amon Ross St. Brown and Garrett Wilson at the turn, which is like, for me, something that I'm hoping to do by the end of draft season. I also think when you do that, you you get a really nice potential run out in the 3-4 with some of those running backs that come available in the middle rounds, uh, speaking of running backs, Sean, I kind of, I was looking at my, my rankings. I kind of missed what you're saying, but you were saying um, the, the thing that we might be uh, a little bit different on was Bijan's scoring upside. Is that right? Well, just the amount of total running back points, basically. I mean, you can look at it from an AP perspective. You can look at it from a high value touch perspective, but the total amount of scoring that we might get specifically to the running back position out of this Atlanta offense. Oh, sure. Out of, out of the Atlanta offense. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an interesting way of framing it as well. I, I do think Bijan has paths to be really, really great this year. Certainly. I mean, it's an incredible prospect, but because of the value that Sean, we spent some time talking about that's available at running back. I just think from a construction standpoint is really the reason that I, I have not wanted to take a ton of Bijan and I have taken a decent amount, but I've wanted to be more like, 
even with the field then severely overweight on a guy that I would typically probably be severely overweight on. I just, it's from a construction standpoint where I really like the ways that my teams can be built. Cause I think I can get a similar upside thesis. Obviously there are a lot of things that can happen with running backs over the course of a year. Um, and Bijan's profile is really, really strong, but uh, I, I am a little bit concerned about, I wouldn't even necessarily say concerned. I guess I'm just uh, as comfortable with some of the running backs we can get later. And so I, I just like from a construction standpoint, going a different direction, we're almost up, but we should talk about that as it relates to the, to the secondary running backs there too, as well. I know Tyler Algier is a very interesting name. We are almost up here, Sean, at the 211, the rest of the second round after Amon Ra and Garrett Wilson go to turn Mark Andrews, Devontae Adams, Tony Pollard, Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Patrick Mahomes goes to the, the Bijan Robinson drafter at the, the 106. He goes Mahomes early. Definitely somebody who's willing to go get his guys. You like to see that. Chris Olave, Jalen Waddle, and Jalen Hurts all go. So we are back up. Both T. Higgins and Devonta Smith made it back to us. The best running backs on my board are Jonathan Taylor, Jameer Gibbs, Ramondre Stevenson, those types. There's no real obvious slider. What are you thinking here? Well, Devonte Smith is an interesting way to play that Eagles offense. I guess I don't know if I'm as high on going Chase Higgins together in a main event as I might be some other yeah. formats. The other thing that we have to at least mention is that I mean, if Jonathan Taylor is moved to really almost any team, but certainly like the Miami Dolphins in the next 48 hours, then he's like the 107. But Devonta's got the higher ADP. I think there's a decent chance that Taylor could swing around. I think I'm, I'm with you here when we have Chase that I would prefer Devonta to Higgins, even though I do have Higgins ranked higher. I think Higgins is an easy pick here as our clock is rolling down. You have Smith though, right? Yes, Devonta Smith. And so we take Devonta Smith there. The Chase Smith start, it's just, I mean, it's a really nice one. Um, and you had mentioned, you know, starting Amon Ra, Garrett Wilson. Colin and I had a chance the other day to start Amon Ra, C.D. Lamb, which is even higher ADP pairing. Mm -hmm. I still have Wilson basically higher than those guys. So, you know, you're vaguely <laughs> disappointed. But, yeah, I mean, Chase Smith, I mean, that's even better, right? I, there are good and bad elements to it. Uh, we need to make a good pick here in the third. But then I've been lucky enough. The, the three main events that I've done so far, I got a two, a six, and a 12. So I get to build very different teams. That part of it is a lot of fun. We are back up. It was T. Higgins and Calvin Ridley at the term. Probably not a surprise there. Right. That was a big reason I wanted to get Smith is I was concerned about potentially the guy at the turn taking both Higgins and Smith and then not really loving the third round pick. If Taylor goes, you have some other options like Gibbs. You can reach up into the running back position. But Sean, I'm I'm willing to take the plunge with you on Taylor here. I have him right in this range. I've taken him 303 in a main already. I think he's you're swinging for the fences in these main events. I think you know he's going to play somewhere likely, right? I mean, maybe we get a one week holdout, but um, unless you want to go like a Jameer Gibbs, or do you have another angle you want to you want to take here with 15 seconds on the clock? I just feel like we're about to get an announcement of a Taylor trade. I know that there are some huge hurdles in place to getting that trade done, but I mean, this is a guy who, I mean, if he's healthy and he's playing in a normal offense and by normal, I just mean one that isn't going to somehow go out of its way <laughs> to knock him down. I mean, basically 24, 25 teams in the NFL would be fine for me with him. 
then I mean I think you have to look at him. I mean, once Christian McCaffrey is gone, I think he's the next best guy. And so if you get him at the 302, I mean, just it's one of those situations where if he actually ends up with the Colts missing a couple of weeks, coming back, and maybe that stuff that he's still in theory trying to rehab from isn't 100%. I mean, you're getting a guy who should go around 302. Right. If those things disappear, then I mean, I was I was on my way to to when I wrote off season stealing signals and, and really went through the, the 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 scenarios and looked at Shane Steichen's you know history of of running offenses with tempo even with a rookie quarterback and Justin Herbert when he was the OC with the Chargers a few years back we had talked through some of the rookie QB you know concerns of some of these offenses that are out there but the Colts were one that looked like yeah they could play with some pace and and Richardson could be low key like not great for Taylor's receiving but low key good for his rushing volume like Taylor could could contend for 2000 yard rushing season if they run a lot of plays or more plays than you would expect from a run based offense with a rookie QB if they're if they're actually decently fast paced and they're doing some of the stuff that the Eagles did where Steichen obviously comes over from I was getting to this point and then I had also talked through Sean as, as we did this and you know on some shows weeks ago that if Richardson really can't complete any passes which we've had some concern about is accuracy that the Gardner Minshew actually would be as a backup really great for for the running back he's he tends to throw to the backs a ton he's another guy that knows the offense with Steichen would probably be somebody Steichen would be willing to run a little bit of a fast-paced offense with our buddy Pat Thorman from ETR who does great pace work actually pinged me on Twitter yesterday and commented that they've looked really fast in the preseason as well so there is reason to believe so if he goes back to the Colts I mean I was headed toward this guy belongs in the end of the first round. He belongs right there with Bijan. He was going early second, and then the trade demand comes out, and he's fallen around to the early third. To your point, if all of those things are wrong, then okay, you know, you can understand this price. If any of them are fixed between now and week one, this is a steal. It really is. It really is. Because, Ben, we are looking for superstars and looking to stack superstars on these different teams. You mentioned the zero RB article series at the beginning of the show. I appreciate that. And I mean, it just feels so good when I get messages from people like you saying that they enjoyed it kind of separate from when we're doing some of the promotional stuff. You released an article this week that I think, I mean, it's not directly the same thing that we're talking about here, but also leans into this conversation and may have the combination of clickiest slash most i don't know substantive is the right word but when it grabs my attention in terms of what you're going to talk about there and i see it and i'm thinking yes this is the piece that everyone needs to read because the entire (laughs) fantasy community is getting it wrong you release something called if i never hear the word regression again it'll be too soon and then little subtitle of we're looking for outliers Probably just hearing that is going to get people to stop listening to the show and head over there and check that out. But is there any additional teaser you want to do for it? I mean, you just cut a great promo. I, I sat there and tried to promo your zero RB watch list. And I, I, I mean, I could never cut a promo the way you can cut a promo. I mean, you make that sound like it was the greatest thing that's ever been written. Uh, I mean, yeah, we've talked a lot about it on the show, Sean. And it's something that I actually, I think, teased on the show at one point where I was like, I'm planning to write this article. I finally got to, to sit down and write it. It was one I was really looking forward to writing, but I had the 
you know, the tiers and targets, positional pieces I needed to get out and the rankings and all of the, the tentpole things that need to get out for people that are drafting. But um, to get an opportunity to sit there and talk about, you know, some of the very key important elements of the ways that we do things in the fantasy uh, industry from looking at things from an opportunity and efficiency lens. And, and Sean, we talk a lot about Rotoviz obviously has had the metrics out there. When I started at Rotoviz in 2015, one of the first articles I wrote was the tight end opportunity report where we use those, you know, expected points and, and fantasy points over expected metrics positionally at that time. I was an editor in 2016. We're doing the same thing. We had the different positional weekly columns looking at the, you know, expected points and fantasy points over expected and, and incredible uh, metrics that are still very, very useful, but at the same time, they become so ingrained in the way that we do things in the fantasy landscape that they're a little bit misunderstood. I, I love the ways that you always talk about them and talk about the, uh, the the balance between the expected points and the fantasy points over expected. But this idea of regression, oh, there's too much, you know, too much efficiency in fantasy points over expected, and those elements. I, I, I certainly also uh, quoted Blair Andrews uh, multiple times, I think, in that piece, who has done incredible work at Rotovis. Obviously, Blair, we talk about on the show all the time, but if you're not reading everything his, he's doing, you're doing it wrong as well. He's shown, since you know, I, I mentioned his 2019 article, he shows how the rookie receivers that get the uh, that are efficient are they tend to be more efficient the, the next year, so it is a little bit stable. And they see their volume rise. That leads to volume rises, which is, I mean, you're now predicting the volume side of it by being efficient, which makes logical sense. The good players are the ones that the, the teams are like, yeah, we, we want to get him more involved in year two. You know, this year that's, you know, John Dotson and George Pickens and guys that whose volume profiles weren't perfect as rookies, but they were good. And they're going to be, their volume profiles are going to be better this year. A lot of stuff, you know, interrelated with all of that. But, Sean, we are almost back up. Round three and four, not a ton of receivers off the board. We are one pick away. Travis Etienne has the potential to make it all the way back to us at 4.11, which I think is a pretty ridiculous slide that would be a nice opportunity. DJ Moore, DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Williams, some of the latest receivers off the board. This 4-5 turn is a really interesting one. We've, we've talked some about it, Sean, where, I mean, it used to be that we would want to hit wide receiver here every day of the week, but it's not really my favorite spot to be hitting wide receiver. There's a lot of ways you can go at this point. You can consider even a Joe Burrow to stack with Jamar Chase. Lamar Jackson has just gone off the board. The drafter ahead of us takes Alexander Madison as their third running back ahead of ETN. We slide onto the clock. The best available receivers, Christian Watson, Drake London, Jerry Judy by ADP. Obviously, Judy now banged up. Darren Waller has gone. TJ Hawkinson has gone, but the rest of the tight ends are there. It looks to me like ETN is kind of a cut above of who's available. What are you thinking about this? You have been atop the queue. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it starts to make me a little bit nervous because I will now have 100% ETN through three drafts. He's falling because Bigsby looked good again. And, I mean, how much does that really hurt you? It's a matter of you kind of like the guy who takes the other touches to be efficient so it doesn't stall the drives out. I don't think we can pass on him here necessarily, Ben, let's unless you him. have a different guy you like. No, let, let's take ETN. The guy behind us at the 101 has started three straight receivers. We mentioned that for the audio listeners that aren't following along with the board. That drafter has Jefferson, Higgins, Ridley, 
already has the bet on Ridley and, and some exposure to the Jags offense, I don't think there's any chance we could swing ETN around. I would have fully expected him to go at the 4-5 turn. The 4-11 is a ridiculous price. Behind Alexander Madison, Aaron Jones, Najee Harris, Joe Mixon, among other running backs, ETN should not be going behind any of those names that I just mentioned. Christian Watson does go at the turn. This is a full zero RB behind us, which is nice to see. And they so the, the pick coming back is a trickier one for me, Sean. And so and and Kenneth Walker goes, who's another name that we would have near the top of the board. There are other really interesting running backs still out there, including uh, you know, Javante Williams and J.K. Dobbins. At the same time, I mean, it's flat enough that I would start to consider Joe Burrow, I think, to stack with Chase, but I would also be fully comfortable pushing quarterback. And that's something we talked about. I think Brandon Ayuk would be the wide receiver for me at this point, but Drake London also an option. I have him right behind Ayuk. Uh, what are you thinking here? Or uh, Kyle Pitts is another name. Yeah, that's kind of the one that I was – I mean, George Kittle is somebody I think is safer and arguably even higher upside, and yet it would be a lot of fun to get Pitts here. I do kind of think this is a tight end pick because yeah. you're going to be chasing tight end throughout the rest of the draft if we don't go here. Um, I, mean, I love Pitts that. Pitts is kind of my that. emotional preference. Kittle is maybe my logical preference. Which direction do you want to go? I want to go pits. Let's let's we we have Sean, our, our entire brand, our entire show has been built on this idea of drafting the players that you want to draft. The, the emotional preference is the one that we're going to go with. It, it might be emotionally uh, a challenge for the whole season again if it's not if it doesn't pan out. But I I think we both really enjoy the feeling of drafting Kyle Pitts, and that's I mean that's what this is all about. We're going to draft Kyle Pitts, and uh, but no, I I. Uh, I circled around to that at the moment. I At the last moment before I kicked it to you, we were running low on the clock. I'm sorry for kind of ch- uh, cutting in there, but glad that we did get pits. I think you're absolutely right what you were saying. This 4-5 turn, it's a good opportunity to get a falling running back. I've seen like Ramondre Stevenson fall to this range. We get ETN as the faller in this one. Um, Brees Hall can also fall to this, to this spot. He goes 309 in this draft. So we are still seeing some people that believe in Brees Hall and are willing to take him pretty aggressively. Uh, ETN falls to us so the 4-5 can be a nice running back pocket but it's also in this tight end premium format a really nice pocket for tight ends Waller had already gone 401 Hawkinson had gone in the third Pitts and Kittle the two pretty clear tight ends staring at us but you're right if we don't take Pitts there Pitts, Kittle and Goddard probably all gone before we get back up at the end of the sixth and we're probably chasing tight end the rest of the way it's a really nice pocket to get your tight end premium anchor solidified at the four five when you have you know these draft slots so through five rounds so far sean jamar chase devonta smith jonathan taylor travis Etienne, kyle pitts only two receivers but we're comfortable with this wide receiver wide receiver start and then hitting a few more detours this year taylor etn pitts three through five i mean just go back to last year kyle pitts was a one-two turn guy in tight end premium jonathan taylor obviously a 101 102 type Travis Etienne, you know, a little bit of a later pick, but still shouldn't be going 4-11. We're getting talents that in a little bit of a different timeline would all be second round picks, it feels like to me. And it's a little bit different story if you're talking about guys who are 27, 28. Certainly if you're talking about guys who are 29, 30. But we're talking about dudes who are in their the early part of their career. And even though they're in the early part of their career, I mean, ETN is just kind of a weird one where he was actually fantastic last season. As I was writing the zero RB piece, I tend to rely, you know, very heavily on the road of his tools. We have 40 plus tools out there. 
they're for in-season, they're for preseason, they're for DFS, start, sit, everything that you could possibly want to do. But there are a lot of different ways I can look at the running back position to get a sense not only of how good the running back is, the advanced stat explorer, how good the blocking is, the advanced team stat explorer, which you can look at blocking uh, in isolation. Things like the ceiling signals tool, which obviously is branded after your fantastic work and looks at some of the high value touches. We have the elements with the NFL pace snap. You can use the Rotoviz screener to make you know, simple projections, giving you a sense of how being early in a career helps. We got the pace tool to see how fast these offenses are going. You work through all of that, but that's sort of all prelude to say that one of the things that also I mentioned from time to time, because I do think it's kind of fun, is the next gen's yards over expected. And I wrote this article about Travis Etienne recently talking about how he had an extraordinary season and yet his head coach is making all those comments about how there are so many areas where he could get better. <laughs> like he was actually good at all those things last year. The funny things when you pull up like the yards over expected from last season is that Jonathan Taylor, somebody who was terrible in comparison to what he's been in the past was still very high up there. JK Dobbins, someone who could like barely walk last year <laughs> was still very high up there. And then obviously Travis Etienne is very high up. And so this idea that there is an echelon of running backs that is separated from the crowd, that is truly different. It, I mean, it's a real thing, right? And so when we have guys who are young, like Taylor and Etienne, and one of the things that I loved, well, number one, I loved doing the exercise where we did projecting next year's first and second round, but I also loved how aggressive you were with the running backs. I mean, Ben, we have these guys that you were talking about being first round picks next year and then you throw Kyle Pitts on top of that I mean, one of the reasons why I don't want to pass on Kyle Pitts too often is that I mean, we had to live through what happened last season and if it comes back and he does even remotely what we were talking about and then he does it from round five as opposed to the one two turn and he is the absolute league winner this season I don't want to live through like the reverse of that right. where he's crushing the world and he's not on my team <laughs> Right, so, which I already did I this with Mark Andrews. Game. I took a ton of Mark Andrews at, at uh, you know, in the third round, early third round. Even I remember my best ever finish in the main event was a team that had Mark Andrews at three hundred three, and he never really hit this year, that year in, in twenty twenty. And then the next year in twenty twenty one, he fell way down, and I was out on him. And then that's the year that Mark Andrews really became the superstar. The routes finally elevated i mean we all knew he was really good the, the same thesis that i was pitching in 2020 though that all he really needs to do is get to a really high routes total because he is such an efficient player and all these things and it happened for mark andrews the next year the thesis the, the discussion around pits a slightly different one it's not just routes but but yeah in 2020 andrews still only got 350 routes that was a career high to that point then in 2021 he jumped to 623 routes and became a superstar and he was way cheaper I've already done this with him. I'm not saying it's going to happen again with Pitts, but I'm not going to live through it again, like you said, without having you know any exposure to Pitts. I think the the argument for Pitts is relatively the same as it was last year. The two things that we have to be concerned about, about are, one, we do have the Arthur Smith effect, and what happened last year is a little bit scary, the lack of usage and all of those things. And then, two, the fact that he wasn't particularly efficient. He still drew targets at a really high rate per route. But the routes, you know, the, the Arthur Smith stuff is the usage. They didn't really give him an elite route share. And then also he wasn't hyper efficient. Like Andrews, when I want to talk about him, continued to be very efficient and has been throughout his career. 
Pitts last year, the efficiency incredibly low, but a big part of that was uncatchable targets. And we've talked about it. Marcus Mariota just not being particularly good last year. If Desmond Ritter can be a little bit better than that, if he doesn't, you know, if Pitts doesn't rack up this league high uncatchable target rate, I don't think his efficiency is, you know, as much of a concern. So that would be exciting. Sean, we do see both Kittle and Goddard go. As we come around the turn, we also see Burrow, Herbert, and Fields go back to back to back at 510, 5'11, and 512. None of them will make it back. That closes out the kind of top seven tier of QBs. Typically in these drafts, now we see maybe a five round gap where only a couple will go. Trevor Lawrence does go here at 604. He would be one of the ones that will go, but sometimes you'll see a really large gap now until Tua or Deshaun Watson start to go, or maybe they'll go in that gap, but until the next guys after that, whether that's Anthony Richardson or Daniel Jones or Gino, those guys can go in like the 13th or 14th sometimes. Not saying that will happen in this draft necessarily. Sean, we're four picks away. J.K. Dobbins still there, a guy that I know you really like. Brandon Ayuk does go. Javante Williams does go on the way back here. James Cook went on the way down in the fifth round, so we lost some targets there. Jerry Judy and Terry McLaurin both go in this round. Another couple interesting guys that are going to start the season with some injury concerns. McLaurin seems a little bit less serious. Judy at 602, I personally would be following him further than that. I have him quite a ways down now in my ranks after the hamstring, which can obviously recur and just not a great way to start the season. George Pickens goes pretty high here. There's definitely some receivers that are worth targeting. I know Jahan Dotson is one that we'll both be very interested in. He is still out there. Chris Godwin falling, a veteran that I know we both have some interest in. He does go now, Godwin. So Dotson, JSN is another on my list. And J.K. Dobbins still there. Three straight receivers. Dobbins, you have at the top of the queue, and he does make it back to 6'11". Evan Ingram goes. We've already taken two running backs and a tight end. Only have two receivers. And you just have to take J.K. Dobbins here, don't you? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, probably. I've been <laughs> trying to talk folks into drafting some of these running back heavy teams with me. And if you get Dobbins at this price, I don't know. It just it seems pretty crazy. The other things we, ha- we would have to consider, J- uh, Jahan Dotson, I think, is a great pick here. And then I'm still all aboard the JSN bandwagon. So it's just more or less where you think you have to pick him to get him. Uh, but are we good going Dobbins and then feeling like we're probably going to get one of those two guys coming back? Right. That yes, that's exactly the way that I'm thinking through it. The, the again, the drafter at the one the one two turn went Watson and Walker last turn, but had started four straight receivers. Very possible they're just a really receiver heavy drafter. They seem to be that way. I wouldn't be surprised if Jahan Dotson does go here at the turn, which could be a bit of a bummer. Kim Akers goes first. That's a nice pick in terms of whether or not Dotson might make it back. But if he does go then I we have JSN was sort of the idea. If Dobbins goes, we're now, I think, a tier down at running back. JSN obviously not going to be the same early season play that Dotson is. Ooh, and Miles Sanders. So they go running back, running back at the turn there. But I do like Dotson still a little bit ahead of JSN because of that early season element, and especially on this team where we only have two receivers to this point. But I could totally be swayed to just take JSN, who's who I think is, you know, obviously the later season really big swing, but Dotson is as well. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, I mean, it's tough. <laughs> this would be another one where I would get to 100% of JSN, so it probably doesn't necessarily make sense. But, I mean, once he's healthy, I mean, I've, I've more or less got him as a 2-3 turn value, which, again, right. is, is kind of silly. But, I mean, Jahan Dotson, a really good pick for this team, allows us to balance a little bit of that JSN risk. I mean, it's not completely impossible that JSN would come back. Um his ADP right. in the last couple of days is the seven twelve, so it had to be a full round. But let's let's go Dotson and let's see. I agree. I, I have a lot of JSN as well. Let's see if there's some crazy world in which JSN falls all the way back. Like you said, doesn't seem likely. Not really counting on it. However, uh, Dotson is a really good pick. If Dotson is off the board, there we take JSN. But we have a really nice. Like this is one of our other favorite alternatives. I got asked on Twitter the day that JSN got hurt. By someone who was kind of joking, but you know, it was like this sort of depressed question of like, who's who's the other receiver that we could now chase up draft boards? And I answered Dotson because it was like right after the McLaurin injury as well. As soon as McLaurin has a, a toe issue that does not seem serious, didn't look like it really got caught heavily on the turf or anything. Sounds like he's gonna be ready for week one. But if that there is some concern from the Twitter doctors and the people that are talking about it, that's that's you know a push off element for a wide receiver that needs to be able to push off. A toe injury is never great for a receiver. If that does limit him at all in the early part of the season, and it sounds like it could at least limit his explosiveness a little bit, it just helps the idea that Dotson could really quickly get off to a great start and potentially be in position to just take over the number one role, essentially. I mean, not to to say that Terry McLaurin's chopped liver. I don't think either of us believe that. But I saw that injury and immediately thought, you know, I – was thinking Dotson had the potential to be the bigger hit late in the year than McLaurin. We have a little bit of a longer timeline on McLaurin that he's a very good receiver, but maybe not elite. And 
there is still some potential that Dotson could work into being, you know, a really, really good player that's even better than what Terry McLaurin has been, basically. And then you have this early injury from McLaurin. My immediate reaction was to, to move Dotson ahead of him in my rankings. We get him after McLaurin in this draft. I have seen him go ahead of McLaurin in other drafts. But to get him at 702 still with the McLaurin injury is really the thing. I mean, we're obviously, Sean, very all in on Sam Howell and on and on the Washington passing game and what could happen there. It gives us a nice little, little stack opportunity if we really push quarterback as well. Maybe we'll wind up with a Sam Howell team here. I, I don't know. Right? I mean, you you messaged me that uh, you wanted to do a draft because you wanted to come out with just Sam Howell. Yeah, so, I wanted to do a draft. Maybe. Our only QB was Sam Howell, and I, I just wanted to push it as far as we could possibly push it at QB. I've seen draft uh, main event drafts here. It's different than best ball. Like these guys go so late, where Howell's going like last round. I had one the other day where I, Howell did go, but Kenny Pickett went undrafted. I mean, and I think Pickett's the other really strong, very late-round quarterback. For me, it's those two that are ahead and shoulders above. Sean, we haven't talked about them in a couple weeks. Obviously, Brock Purdy. You got, like, Jordan Love looking okay in preseason. We've talked a lot about Desmond Ritter, who I do like, but I don't trust Arthur Smith as far as I can throw him. I haven't really come around on many of the rookies. I'm a little concerned that Anthony Richardson's going to punish me for not having much of him, even in best ball. Uh, just because the way that they look like they're going to run that offense is going to be so Eagles-esque, and his rushing could just be that good, basically. But of all those sort of, you know, he's obviously a, a pricier option, but of all those sort of unknown quarterbacks that could be this year's breakout, who are the ones that you really lean towards at this stage later in August? Well, I wrote a piece making an argument for really – considering most of them and the fact that you can consider most of them is pretty meaningful certainly when you're constructing best ball teams but it's also meaningful i think when you're looking to put together a main event where you really push it because one of the things that just is so interesting right now is that in an environment where the second and third tiers of qb are so inexpensive we have eight quarterbacks who are already gone here now is there a world where these are the eight teams that can be competitive for the league title because they have the quarterbacks? Yes. So I don't want to act like this is necessarily a bad play. I just want to highlight what the trade-offs are because the trade-offs are pretty extreme. I mean, you think about what we had to decide last round in round seven, which those eight quarterbacks all went in the first six rounds. But with our pick in round seven, we were deciding between two guys that we feel like are must-have. So, I mean, where would we have reasonably worked in a quarterback and not had the opportunity cost be gigantic now i mean in terms of things that could happen i mean you could have one of those guys get hurt right away and the quarterback score a ton of points and then you wish you had it in the other direction but you don't know that going in i mean you don't know which one of your guys is going to get hurt and you could just swap out and it wouldn't be a big deal then when you work to the end of the draft i mean you have Pickett, who looks like i mean i don't want to necessarily say star but i mean he looks very good and the team itself and the people watching the team are saying, I mean, he could be this year's Trevor Lawrence. Well, the difference between taking the actual Trevor Lawrence at the 604 versus taking Kenny Pickett at the end of the draft is massive. Obviously, Sam Howell looks good. And the only thing that I would really emphasize there is that, I mean, he is good enough that he should look good when you're playing in the preseason against defenses that are not playing all their guys and are not showing their exotic coverages and all that. I mean, you should look good. If you look bad in that environment, which you could argue that some of the rookies have, I mean, that's a little bit more problematic, right? The only thing that him looking good in the preseason tells us 
is that he's not terrible and that he probably has now given himself a little bit better moat. So if he does make some mistakes in the first month, he's not going to be immediately benched, which was one of the concerns people have. Given that, the upside is extreme. I think the upside for Desmond Ritter is massively understated because he's going to run a little bit more than people think. And then he's got Drake London and Kyle Pitts. You've got Bijan who's going to catch some passes and take him. When we think back to that play where Khalil Herbert goes for a 50-yard touchdown, I mean, who's more likely to get a couple of those? I mean, Herbert looked very good. He was one of the guys who, very top yards over expected. But, I mean, Bijan, a player who, not saying this is going to happen, but what you think about, you want the guys with the potential to have elite efficiency seasons. I mean, he could take, you know, three screen passes, 70 yards for touchdowns, right. which would go on Ritter's score. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So we think through that part of it. Uh, and then Brock Purdy with the weapons he has. I think that, so I've argued for wait till the end, take four, watch the first three weeks, cut the guys you don't need, as opposed to spending 500 of your fab budget for the guy that you didn't draft and then want. Colin and I did this the other day, and I wanted to mention, Ben, it was also interesting because one of the things that I ran across as I was looking at Kyler Murray updates and just, you know, the different trade stuff that they did were, and I always tell people, you know, probably you want to ignore the comments that like someone's going to play at 100% like right from the beginning if they're injured and probably ignore the comments from people who say he's never going to play again. But I, I was sort of abashed and was thinking, I mean, Ben has been telling me this the whole time. There were certainly rumors surrounding that, that Kyler Murray <laughs> might not play this entire season. So you've been kind of on that recently. You've had him as someone to sort of avoid. So we actually took Desmond Ritter as our third QB at the end when Murray was still available to stash. I mean, that's kind of how I feel about him. I mean, he's one of the guys that I think, I mean, you should have in that group when you're stashing multiple players. Yeah, I think he makes sense in, the, in those contexts. And to be clear, I don't necessarily know if he's going to play all year. My concern is he misses a lot of the year. And then also because of the ACL, we don't get the rushing, you know, like I go back, Joe Burrow is just, a, he's not obviously a super mobile quarterback. He's just a recent example of an ACL guy. But I remember looking at his numbers doing the projections and he ran for more than twice as many rushing yards in 2022 last year than he did in 2021, the year he came back. And I mean, he was back and, and reasonably healthy and all those things, but was back somewhat quickly and just, you know, he's a little bit of a scrambler, a little bit of mobility. He didn't have the same type of rushing impact. Sean, we're five picks away. Jason's still on the board. So, like, very clear to me at this point, I'll just say that, like, we made the right play to take Dotson because I think you do want to try to hit the home run. We're now four picks away. All the way down and now almost all the way back, people have not necessarily prioritized him. He could still go. He's, I think, the highest available receiver by ADP. But it becomes sort of obvious that Brandon Cooks now goes over him, that no one in this room is, like, really prioritizing him. The guy right before us has taken Evans and Lockett, and he only has two receivers. I think, you know, some of these guys might might like the idea of pairing a Lockett and a JSN together. Uh, Romeo Dobbs goes. We still have JSN on the board. Sky Moore has gone. Zay Flowers, Gabe Davis, Michael Pittman, Cortland Sutton, Jordan Addison, Marquise Brown, and Tyler Lockett. Since we picked, we would take JSN. I, I think I can speak for you as well over all of those players. Uh, <laughs> and then also some of the ones that went before Jahan Dotson. Yeah, and a, and a lot of running backs have gone. Khalil Herbert, Dalvin Cook, and Antonio Gibson were the last three. DeAndre Swift did go. He's the one that we had kind of earmarked, but we already have three, so didn't really need to, to, to jump into the Swift game. Isaiah Pacheco, David Montgomery, James Conner, Alvin Kamara. Oh, he does go two picks before us. So we don't get the Jackson Smith and Jigba. Perfect outcome. 
it was inevitable. This drafter here actually has only taken Jalen Waddle, Drake London, and Chris Godwin. Some receivers that we like. Uh, Lamar Jackson, Travis Kelsey, Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara is that person's entire roster so far. That's a roster that looks like a potential $1 million roster. I just want to yeah, throw that that's out a there. strong roster so far for sure. It's just interesting that you know they took Kamara two picks after we took Dotson and then got JSN all the way back to him. I can't believe he went after you know Sky Moore and Brandon Cooks and Romeo Dobbs and we got that close. But he doesn't make it to us, Sean. The guy who does make it, Michael Thomas, goes, at least for me, is the top one is Quentin Johnson. Although you have Elijah Moore at the top of the queue, and I actually really like that as well. Who, who do you like more, Quentin Johnson or Elijah Moore? I think you can go either direction there. I like to take the big risks. And so I, mean, I kind of like Johnston. I kind of like, you know, considering Traylon Burks coming back around. The person that you like, I don't think it's necessarily a great team fit, but the best value by ADP is Pat Fryermuth, who is somebody that you know you've been all over. Do you have a, a direction you're leaning here? I think I'd prefer to go receiver receiver here because I really like the guys and the window's gonna close and we have pits. I do like Fryermuth, but I would prefer to go receiver receiver structurally. Uh probably Quentin Johnston for me, and then on the way back it's Elijah, Bateman, and Burks that are all pretty solid. So we do take Quentin Johnston there. And I think, you know, the options on the way back. So Frymouth gets snap picked right behind us. He was the ADP value. The guy behind us didn't have a, a tight end is, is loving that. But, I mean, he goes Frymouth Kincaid. So we get all those guys coming back to us, the receivers we discussed, Sean. I actually still have Bateman a spot ahead of Elijah Moore. But I'm very comfortable taking Elijah Moore. I have Burks just behind them. But that's in part because of the early season injury that I'm very comfortable just going Burks here as more of a longer term play we have the three running backs that should help us get out to an early you know points a situ- you know positive point situation ideally where where would you go you know regardless of what i just said about my ranks for this build at receiver well i think that i like Traylon burks the best but i think he also has a chance to come back because people are fading the injured receivers i think bateman has a chance to come back so from that perspective, if you're comfortable with Elijah Moore, that would probably be the way to maximize our Let's chances to add another one. Yeah. Um, but just to kind of go into that a little bit more now that we've made the pick, one of the things that I think you have to fight is this idea that if you need or if you've left yourself in a little bit, I wouldn't say trouble, but if you're a little bit lighter at a position that you're usually heavier on or you are adapting your tactics to 2023's draft landscape and you're taking some running backs and again i mean this thing that we're trying to do today is to manage the wide receiver element of it while we also create a lot of exposure to upside at the running back position we get that elite tight end layered in there so we're doing everything except for the elite qb but when you push the receivers a little bit then i mean it's going to be a slightly different team profile than what you often draft I think the tendency can be to, you know, pull back into your shell a little bit and say, I need to make sure I have some guys who are going to score me points. I want to push it the exact opposite direction as far as I can and say, okay, if we don't have the normal like six elite wide receivers that we usually do, we've got to draft some guys who could be elite, not some guys who, you know, you're in week 
seven, eight, nine, ten, and you're like, you don't even really care if you start them or not, that you could actually get someone off the waiver wire. And the waiver wire at wide receiver is going to get you people you can play. What it's not going to get you is people who help you win a league or help you win a tournament, right? So that's the difference between the waiver wire at wide receiver and running back. So we have to draft the guys who could potentially win a tournament for us. Elijah Moore's deal is, is a little bit weird because... He supposedly has been fantastic in the offseason. He's supposedly been good in camp. Then you have a little bit of injury element with both him and Amari Cooper. You have the reports that Deshaun Watson has actually looked terrible again. And so that causes you a little bit of pause. You have reports that the Browns love more, but they don't know how to use him, <laughs> which the Giants, I mean, the, Giants, the Jets from last year certainly say hello. They're like, we just ran him down the field and every once in a while zach wilson would throw a ball 15 yards over his head and then we had to fight with him because he got zero receptions in these games you look back to what he did as a rookie and what he did in college and it's pretty clear that there are ways to use elijah Moore successfully i would prefer to make a bet on him at the 902 than to make that bet on amari cooper at the 402 I think that these guys, I think Elijah Moore flipping and being the higher scorer of the two is not unlikely at all. So I, I like to have that in there. I do think that if we look at who's most likely to give us a tournament winning season, it's Traylon Burks. But I do want to be a little bit careful with where I pick him. And I think that once you get into this area of the draft, there's maybe a little bit less pressure. The drafter who took JSN, I mean, maybe they would just come back. They took Brian Robinson, who was one of the guys on the zero RB candidates countdown. I think that that's a good pick. Again, I think that that team is on their way to you know, potentially having a $1 million team. So they come back through and are staring at Traylon Burks there. I mean, maybe they find it impossible to pass, especially because they have Travis Kelsey and Lamar Jackson. They don't have to worry about the onesie positions either. So, I mean, there are some spots that people could take him, but I mean, if you get Traylon Burks at the 10 11, you're really excited about that. Now that we've had a little more chance to digest it, I mean, would you go back and take one of those other guys? Kadarius Tony was in the queue. Was that a misclick by me, or was that somebody that you wanted us to make sure we also considered? Oh, I would, no, uh, I didn't put him in the queue. So it was a misclick by you. And I was going to ask you what you've been smoking this morning, but I'm glad to know that that was <laughs> a little bit of a mistake on your part. You're wondering if it was me. No, Kadaris Tony does go in the night. I was like, wow, you're considering Tony at the 902 because uh, I need to reassess the way that I'm addressing that. We hadn't talked about Tony, but I assume that you're with me that like he's borderline undraftable. <laughs> like he's got to be like a 12th round pick at this point. People still taking him in the ninth. Since our pick, Sean, uh, and it was Fryermuth and Kincaid at the turn, it's been Dalton Schultz, Brian Robinson, David Njoku, Kadarius Toney, Tyler Higbee, and then Charbonnet, Warren, and Samaj P. Ryan. So we get four running backs in this round, three more tight ends, including the two on the turn. When you say that we've had the time to digest, I, I was thinking that I would probably go back and do it differently because I kind of understood why you wanted to target Fryermuth at the 811 as that big ADP faller. It gives us an interesting uh, pairing with Pitts. Who's, I mean, we love Pitts' upside, but it's also a little bit of a concern. Could be challenging week to week to want to start him if that's how the season plays out. And so to have somebody like Frymuth in the build with him would have been really interesting because if they both hit in a big way, you can still flex it, right? This is a two running back, two receiver, one tight end, and then two flex format with tight end premium, where if you have two really good tight ends, you can flex a tight end. It's not out of the question. 
we already had three good receivers to fill, you know, two receiver spots and two flexes. You're trying to, to probably do all of that with receiver, but we also have three good running backs. I mean, it would have, wouldn't have been out of the realm of the possibility that we could have been in situations down the line where we were playing three running backs and two tight ends and using our flexes that way and only two receivers. And that's the way you can do things in this format at FFPC. So I do think in hindsight, I, I get what you were thinking a little bit more on the Fryermuth play. I was worried about the wide receiver window slamming shut. Your interest in pushing Bateman and or Burks, and neither has gone now at the 10.03 we get around the wrap with A.J. Dillon, Rashad Penny, Sam Laporta, and Jarek McKinnon. Some interesting players in there. But more running backs and tight ends in this range. The receivers we like are falling. I guess I hadn't really considered that idea that we could maybe play for our, the 10-11 turn to be pretty interesting at receiver. And it is kind of exciting that we're going to potentially have that opportunity. But yeah, in hindsight, I mean, if we could have went Fryermuth and then maybe Quentin Johnson spins around and it's a Fryermuth quentin Johnson turn, you just had a lot of positive things about Elijah Moore that does get me excited. I'm glad to have him as part of this bill. Tank Bigsby now goes off the board, another non-receiver. But yeah, I mean, the the fact that we could have played for these two banged up receivers to fall in the JSN way, I mean, it is one where I wish we would have had time to talk through it again. I, I, I'm doing all this narration for the podcast before we're on the clock, right? But I think you had that absolutely right in reading the way that JSN fell so far that in this room, we could have pushed receiver to the 10-11 and taken that extra Fryermuth pick there. That would have been pretty interesting. Is that sort of what you were thinking, that he would be a nice little pairing with Pitts? Is that one that you wish we had, or did you just want to take him because you know that I'm high on him? Well, it was the combination of that I know you're high on him and the ADP value in a tight end premium format is pretty interesting. And then the drafter who is in between us, the, the drafter who is actually on the turn, I thought had a really dynamic draft through the first five rounds. We get a timeout there on Traylon Burks, which is a huge bummer if that's not really who <laughs> they wanted. Uh, and so I didn't necessarily want to pass that value to them, but that's a very small consideration in this type of format. Thinking back through it, I'm actually pretty glad we didn't take Fryermuth. Loading up on the tight ends is hugely valuable in FFPC best ball. It, it does have a value here too, for the reasons that you described. I think it's a little bit less. Another thing that would have been really cool if, if Sam Laporta had come back, he has a ADP about 10, six, he goes at the uh, nine, 10 turn. So he doesn't come back. One of the things I think we want to start considering is if we want to reach it all for, and we're not really in position to draft like that style of team exactly. So we don't want to, you know, do anything silly to force it. But Chiefs Lions, those guys have the that flexibility of being started in our lineup after the Thursday night game. It's one reason we're reaching pretty significantly for Rasheed Rice here, maybe at eleven oh two is interesting for me. So yeah, we got the Burks wow. timeout. We do get Bateman to the team that we've been saying is having the best draft. That's a bummer, probably expected. We're back up. We don't necessarily have as dynamic a picks as we might've had a, a few picks ago. We have gone four rounds without a QB Two is still there. We like him. That's an option. Deshaun Watson, but I, I I'm fine. Continuing to kick QB down the line. Like you said, the tight ends, not super interesting. Kincaid off the board, Laporta, several more went since our last pick. Uh, for me, my next best receivers are Marvin Mims and Rasheed Rice. If you wanted to take Rasheed Rice at this point and, and get a look at his Thursday night and potentially start him, I'm totally in on that. But 
probably feels like maybe the the, the wrap pick, like you were saying, at 11.02. So what would you do here first? At running back, Roshan Johnson, Kendra Miller, Tajay Spears are some options. So I don't think that I don't think that either of them will come back. Kind of looking through where players are here by ADP. And I do think that the thing you mentioned there of taking a running back is is interesting. But if we when you say have, both of them, you mean Rasheed Rice and Marvin Mims. Right. I don't think either one of them will come back to us at 12, looking at the so ADP let's just take from them, the last couple of days. Let's just take them both. We can handle running back later. We have the three horses already. Right? Yes. And so that's I, I was going to make an argument for taking Jacoby Myers and then one of the two of them at 1102 and then hoping that the other one would fall. But in, I mean, we've, we've had the situation where a couple of guys have fallen close, but not made it. Uh, it. There's a little bit less of a risk because the actual QADP, which is showing more days than what I have up here on our ADP tool at Rotoviz, that has Marvin Mims more buried than like for Traylon Burks. So we probably weren't going to hit the thing where a team that like may actually be auto picking now, it's not hundred percent clear probably wouldn't have just taken him out like that, like we lost Burks. But Rice, Mims is going 12.03, Rice is going 12.05. Obviously, you get into this range of the draft. It, it's certainly possible that one of them would have come back. But since, I mean, if there had been somebody that we wanted, I would have definitely said, let's push it. But since we were having a hard time coming up with a name that we really liked, I love having Rasheed Rice and Marvin Mims on the team. I did too. I the ways that the the preseason have, has evolved for both of them, I've moved them both into my last two spots before the. We joke about my my rankings having these big tier breaks, but it's a it's sort of a transition tier, but it's it's the last tier before you know inside the wide receiver window, as we might say. I don't necessarily think of those guys as being inside the wide receiver window, but my point is I'm ranking them there because I think once you get into the post wide receiver window spectrum, you can reach for them exactly as we did here. Cause we Burks and Bateman, I think are very clearly window receivers that are sliding. Burks goes on an auto pick. As you mentioned at 10 4 Bateman goes 10 9 two picks ahead of us. It would have been nice to get those guys, but when we didn't rice and Mims have the, the types of upside profiles that do that. I, I, I think is justified in us targeting them in, in a build where, we now are up to seven receivers. So it's not like, you know, we're just taking receivers to take them as sometimes a, a criticism is levied on, on, on the, our drafting style. But Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, first two rounds, we've now taken five straight starting in the seventh because we went four straight rounds from round three to round six without a receiver. We went Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, Kyle Pitts, J.K. Dobbins. Since then, we get Jahan Dotson. We get Quentin Johnston and Elijah Moore. And then we get Rasheed Rice and Marvin Mims. And so there's some question marks in there, certainly. But we're stacking a lot of upside bets, a little bit of quantity over quality. I mean, this is one of the things, Sean, that I, I, I still think is missed too often in drafting. You're going to have misses. You're going to be wrong. People love to talk about drafting like you're right. You're going to be wrong. I, I want to draft like I'm going to be wrong sometimes. You talked about a strategy where you're taking four late quarterbacks to try to hit on the one that is the we think there's a lot of intriguing options back there, but we can't just pick the one quarterback that's going to break out and be right every time. We've done this in enough years. 
to know that, yeah, like as much as I'm saying Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett are my favorite, I know that I'm not going to be right on that more than, you know, maybe a coin flip, right? Like it's there, there's a reason they're going as late as they are with some of the crowds is a real thing. All of these things are important elements to what we're thinking through. And so when you get into, you know, this range of the draft here and the questions we were discussing at that turn, didn't feel like the running backs were ones that we had to take to force us into that part of our build. We can still get running back depth behind Taylor Etienne and Dobbins later. This was a range where we needed to address that we didn't have enough receiver depth and get a lot of intriguing profiles and be open to being wrong. It, I think, is great for our build. As you discussed earlier, we have the running back and tight end elements hopefully covered with Pitts and with those three running backs. And we're going to, you know, without the elite QB, but we're going to play QB late. You got to get the receiver upside figured out in this range. And so we did it through quantity to a certain degree, because like as much as there are player archetypes we love, and we are going to have guys that we're going to chase all around the board. Sometimes we're not going to always be right. And you, you do have to have that humility as a drafter. I love the way that you said that. And that'll be a good spot for us to wrap part one of the draft here. We're through 11. You just mentioned the quarterbacks. 11 quarterbacks have gone. Every team has drafted a quarterback. We have not. Anthony Richardson's still available just to kind of underline the upside where people are still you know, drafting other guys and still burning picks at that position. But Ben, we will be back up on the clock in no time. And this yet will be the end of part one of the special episode of Stealing Bananas. I am Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. I mentioned the fantastic articles over there on Stealing Signals. Make sure you check that out. Also sign up for his betting project with Dalton Cates, Stealing Lines. We'd love to have you guys over at Rotoviz. The coupon code there is RVRadio2023 at checkout. This has been a lot of fun. Love you guys. Leave us those rating reviews. Those always help us. We'll be back soon. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.